0: Hi, I'm Michael Siddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. So Bill Morneau resigned this week, forcing Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to make a sudden cabinet shuffle. And Chrystia Freeland is our new finance minister. Uh, also later in the show, many of you are very, very angry. Not you and me, Nick, but others. <laughs> and we will talk about what that means at the ballot box. But first, Chrystia Freeland, first woman in Canadian history to hold the position of finance minister. She has a massive task ahead of her. Uh, Can you put this into context, uh, Nick? Well, the last 10 days have been a bit of a political earthquake. Mm. You know, we didn't
1: uh, I don't think anyone was expecting uh, Bill Morneau to uh, resign or should we say asked to resign or resign um, because it looked like he was going to hold on. But uh, fast forward and uh, Christia Freeland is now the new Minister of Finance. I think Maybe we should dub her the Minister of Everything because it seems to be that she is the go-to fixer for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. She's managed many of the big files related to the renegotiation of the Canada-US-Mexico Free Trade Agreement. She's been dealing with the provinces on the COVID response. Now, why don't we just add on to that resume, Minister of Finance, which is the most important cabinet portfolio in the government. She's the new Minister of Everything. Uh, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see how she performs, but I think there are pretty high expectations, especially from the Prime Minister for, for uh, christia Freeland.
0: So, we're, we're facing a projected $343 billion deficit this year, I believe. Uh, unemployment is something like 10.9%. Uh, and... It sounds like they want to sort of uh, reboot the economy in a a very specific way. So I just want to play a clip from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau.
1: In other words, we need a long-term plan for recovery, a plan that addresses head-on the fundamental gaps this pandemic has unmasked. In the coming weeks, we will present our plan to rebuild a stronger, more resilient Canada. This will be our roadmap out of the pandemic towards a society that is fairer and more welcoming.
0: So Nick, uh, it sounds like a very ambitious plan. um, And we, we hear the word fairness a lot. So what do you think that means? And and is this, is is this challenge uh, possible?
1: Well, I think what we saw were the prime minister and the liberals telegraph what they would like to fight if there was a fall election or whenever the next election does occur, what they want to fight it on. Uh, Justin Trudeau used uh, kind of a fair society. And Mm. uh, can we play retro hour? I don't know, I don't think you have it in the (laughs) clips, but I think his dad said a just society, fair society, Mm. just society. I think it sounds kind of the same. But uh, the fact of the matter is it looks like the liberals want to tilt clearly on the progressive side of the ledger. They're looking to eat the NDP lunch in order to consolidate progressive voters. And I think what they're hoping for is a potential showdown with the Conservatives, especially Aaron O'Toole, who is uh, a little more right wing than, uh, than Peter McKay, uh, to have a showdown with the Conservatives uh, where the Liberals portray themselves as generous progressives, stimulating the economy. And they portray the Conservatives as, uh, why don't we just say a little more frugal with mm. tax dollars, not as hot on uh, stimulus and, uh, and to try to compare and contrast. So what I heard, Michael, was the laying of the groundwork for how the Liberals would like to fight the election. It doesn't always turn out that way because that we controversy is probably gonna dog them.
0: Mm. Oh, and speaking of fairness, Krista uh, Freeland did make a point of saying that uh, as a woman, she understands you know uh, acutely that, that women have been disproportionately affected by this pandemic. Uh, more women have lost their jobs than men. Uh, so that really goes towards uh, uh, the the fairness that you're speaking about. Yeah, well, it's not just
1: that, you know, the thing is, is that uh, you know, we also know from the nanos uh, research that we've been doing on an ongoing basis. We just finished some research for Bloomberg News and it shows that women are less likely to be called back to work compared to men. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also know from the polling that for the liberals, women are a key demographic, that the the Liberals cannot win an election, they will not even have a chance to form a majority government unless they do well among women voters. Hmm. So that was the other big signal that we saw the other day from the Prime Minister, that uh, not only is he focusing on kind of what he describes as as a fair society, but ensuring that women participate in the recovery as much as other, as, as much as men, for example.
0: So, Nick, you uh, referred to Christian Freeland as being the new minister of everything. Uh, that term, of course, goes way back to C.D. Howe, the famous C.D. Howe, who was in charge of sort of overhauling our economy during uh, the Second World War and then leading us out of that. Um, how, how does Christian Freeland's uh, challenge compare to something like that?
1: I think, as Michael, did you just call it the, the uh, time machine kind of work? <laughs> <franking>, yeah. <laughs> franking bank. Uh,
0: you know, if we look at
1: that political time machine, C.D. Howe, previous, I'll call him the first minister of everything, mm-hmm. minister of munitions, minister of transportation, minister of finance. And uh, he was a key player in the then liberal government in the Second World War that, that fought I'll say the other big fight of a generation which was the second world war fast forward now I think this is comparable to the the COVID-19 pandemic is comparable to a great war is also comparable to the depression we're seeing a significant disruption we're seeing Canadians not being able to pay their bills we're also seeing a health threat so uh, so I think the I think the challenge for Christia Freeland and the liberals is as great as uh, as for the conservative government in the first world war or the liberal government in the uh, in the second world war. Because we haven't really seen the carnage, the economic carnage that will happen as a result of this. Because we are still, many parts of the country are still in kind of phase two, phase three, and are worried about a potential resurgence or second wave. Mm. So uh, I say this is comparable, but it's too early to say whether she will be a full minister of everything because it will require a successful term or period with with her as the minister of finance and uh it's too early to tell how she'll perform but she's done well in other portfolios with other very hot topics
0: hmm. now uh she wouldn't have this job if bill marnot hadn't resigned or you know let's let's just say that he resigned <laughs> um, so uh i i suppose Part of this, if you're maybe cynical, may be to change the page on the We Charity scandal that the Liberals uh, found themselves in and, and Bill marno did as well. Uh, how successful might, might this be as a strategy?
1: It's kind of like, you know, those medieval, medieval dramas where someone takes the pillow and smothers, some, smothers <laughs> someone else. What, the, what yeah. the Liberals have done is basically smother uh, the ethics committee Mm. the House of Commons, by proroguing Parliament. Basically, it's not dissolving Parliament, but it basically stops all the committee work, stops all the MP work, and uh, we're in a period, we'll be in a period a hiatus of about four to five weeks until the third week of September when the the speech from the throne comes is, uh, is delivered by the Liberals and there'll be a confidence vote, obviously, on that. So I think this is a, an effective strategy to smother things. Prime Ministers like to do this. Jean Chrétien used prorogation. Stephen Harper used prorogation. Now, uh, Justin Trudeau gets to join that. If there's a prorogation club, it sounds pretty boring, right, having
0: a <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. But uh, it looks like Justin Trudeau is, is using prorogation uh, as a strategy to try to do a major reset on the government and to get Canadians to focus on a speech from the throne that mm. I would say could maybe have a little poison pill uh, in it. Oh, interesting. Well, if the liberals think that the numbers are good for them and they want to fight the election against the conservatives, Mm. they might introduce a little poison pill. And uh, realistically, that poison pill has to be the color orange. Mm. Kind of like, you remember the Matrix, the blue pill or the red pill? Well, anyways, it's going to be the orange pill this time (laughs) because the bloc have said that they would want to have an election. The conservatives will probably be chomping at the bit in the election. That Mm. leaves the NDP as the big question mark. Will they want to have an election and take that risk? Or are they going to climb down? And uh, so watch out for that speech from the throne, for the, I'll call it the orange poison pill that the liberals might sneak in there hmm. to trigger an election if they think it's to their advantage.
0: I wonder if it's uh, orange crush flavored. We'll have to see. I don't know. You can crush the pill too, right? You can crush yeah. it. Uh, I, I was wondering though, Nick, if, if, if this kind of we charity scandal would have sort of dissipated over the summer, that, that if maybe, um, you know, assuming that maybe the the prime minister did push out more, no, um, that, that it could have sort of resolved itself.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Michael, when we look at the trend line on the ballot support, uh, if you look at that trend line over time, mm. you can see that the liberal numbers going up, And uh, during the the first part of the pandemic, you see them going down for the pandemic. And then you see a little pop, a one week pop. That one week pop in the trend line is a fallout from the prime minister's testimony at the ethics committee and also his chief of staff. Hmm. And then what you see is the pop and the drop. Hmm. The drop is speculation about Bill Morneau resigning. So what we saw at least was a, a one week, almost like a mini recovery. Uh, for the Liberals coming out of the Prime Minister's and the Chief of Staff's testimony, and then speculation about Bill Morneau uh, potentially resigning and that little pop uh, being erased. You know, we talk about governments defeating themselves. Mm -hmm. You can see that every action that the government takes basically has an impact on their own support. So uh, I think the case could have been made that, hey, why don't you wait an extra week to see if people start forgetting about things? But they fed oxygen to this story mm-hmm. with Bill Morneau's resignation. And as a result, uh, what we saw was uh, the numbers bouncing around, but uh, still a fairly tight race between the Liberals and the Conservatives.
0: Now, t- To be fair to Bill Marneau, he did say uh, in his resignation speech that he was leaving because he wants to put his, his name in the, in, in the hat to potentially lead the OECD. Uh, and, and, and that's what his plans are, presumably, for the future. Um, but, you know, a, a government cannot function when the prime minister and finance minister are at odds with what they want to do. And I did find it very interesting that Christian Freeland made a point of talking about having a united front with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So I'll just play that clip now.
1: Now, in terms of the times that the prime minister and I have disagreed, Uh, It's actually something we talked about yesterday, Um, and we reflected, I think with good humor, uh, on a, a few of the issues where we have disagreed. I'm actually not going to catalog those because for me always to be an effective minister, my motto has been to have open, candid conversations with the prime minister in public, in private, but also to have a united front when we come out in public. And I'd like to thank the prime minister who has treated me that way too.
0: Uh, So Nick, now that we have a new finance minister, do you think we will continue to see more people likely to vote for the Liberals?
1: Well, I'm not sure if they're going to be more likely to vote for the Liberals because uh, it's going to take a little more than just uh, swapping cabinet ministers uh, for that. But you know, the what the the key signal that I heard uh, in this mini shuffle, which only included two individuals, um, was that the Prime Minister wanted someone that he was completely aligned with, mm-hmm. uh, not just publicly but privately. You know, they the the Liberals in the lead up to the resignation from. Uh, Bill Morneau were saying things like, you know, there were disagreements between the Minister of Finance and the Prime Minister. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, that I think for anyone that knows how cabinet works, it's collective decision making. Morneau didn't say anything public. He didn't violate cabinet, uh, cabinet confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, did we find out that disagreeing with the Prime Minister privately was enough uh, to provoke a rift? Uh, But, you know, I think with the selection of Freeland, basically what the Prime Minister has done is taken one of his most consistent performers and a person who is very closely aligned with the views of the Prime Minister on the big issues into the big portfolio finance. And, uh, And I think what the Prime Minister is hoping for is to make sure that that alignment works in order to achieve what the Liberals want to achieve, which is their fair society. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's probably what they're hoping to do.
0: And I'm just going to bring back the time machine again. Uh, Obviously, Bill Marnot is not the first cabinet minister to potentially part ways with the prime minister over a difference of of how how they want to push the country forward. We've seen Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott uh, also leave. Um, So it's, you know, as you said, Nick, I suppose governments can potentially defeat themselves.
1: Well, you know, and the, and the thing is, is, you know, for those, for those two other individuals, Philpott and Wilson Rabel, uh, those are very public disagreements. Um, in this particular case, we had other people, unnamed sources, the mysterious unnamed sources in Ottawa, <laughs> uh, basically say that there were some disagree, private disagreements. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so I think this is a little different than what we saw with those other two former cabinet ministers.
0: So the conservatives uh, are just days away from uh, picking a new leader. Um, So where do the parties stand now? We have the Liberals sort of trying to get, you know, emerge from the We Charity scandal um, and reboot the economy. And then we've got the leaderless conservatives about to choose a new member. Where do they both uh, stand with the public right now?
1: Well, you know, when we look at the long-term ballot trend line, you can see that right now, uh, it's a fairly tight race. Uh, between the uh, Liberals and the Conservatives, that the Liberals at one point enjoyed an 11-point lead. Now it's basically three to four percentage points. But, you know, one of the numbers that I like to look at is whether people would consider or not consider voting for any of the federal political parties. And when you check out that trend line, Michael, you Hmm. can see that the Liberals kind of at the height of the pandemic when Canadians were generally satisfied with uh, how the Liberals were doing, you can see that upwards of six out of every 10 Canadians, you can see that line go up, six out of every 10 Canadians open or consider voting liberal fast forward now in the we controversy now you see that number drop into the 40s and you know so for the liberals there's been a decline in the proportion of canadians that would consider voting for them. but check out those conservative numbers you know what it's kind of like a little bit of a steady heartbeat right uh no big surge that you can see that looking at the conservative trend line on the proportion of canadians that would consider voting conservative that it's basically uh, it's flat line is the wrong word but it's been consistent uh, mm-hmm. that the that the conservative leadership has not moved the dial in terms of getting more canadians to consider voting conservative and this is why the launch of the new leader whoever that person is in the coming weeks is going to be critical because well people will pay attention to whoever is selected and it'll be interesting to see how that person keeps the conservative party unified and how they set out their vision in order to try to attract more voters.
0: Hmm. Now, you are surveying the mood of Canadians towards the federal government as well, and it seems like that might actually help the Conservatives, correct?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, before the pandemic, if I was to summarize how Canadians felt, and we asked a question on whether people feel angry, pessimistic, optimistic, satisfied, uh, ambivalent uh, Hmm. towards the federal government, In the, uh, If I was to characterize Canadians before the pandemic, it's kind of like people yelling at their television set every time they heard about or thought about the government in Ottawa. There's a significant proportion of Canadians that said that they were either angry or pessimistic. Fast forward through the pandemic and you can see those green colors, people that are satisfied, not optimistic, but satisfied uh, with the government in Ottawa, not Justin Trudeau and not the Liberals, but the government in Ottawa. Now with the WE controversy, Uh, you can see that that anger quotient is on the rise. Uh, It's on the rise in the West. It's on the rise among male voters. And this is what the Liberals have to watch out for. Because when that quotient of pessimism and anger goes up, that's usually good news for the opposition parties because people are disaffected and disenchanted with the government in Ottawa. Hmm.
0: So uh, you said... It's mostly men and and uh, voters in the West. Um, Is it impacting anywhere else? Are we seeing more anger rising in, let's say, Eastern Canada or or Ontario? No, but,
1: you know, one of the cohorts where we're seeing uh, anger on the rise are uh, younger men. Hmm. And uh, and you know what? Uh, The thing the thing, the reason why Canadians should be aware of this is because this is the same type of segment of the population in other democracies where younger men have been disaffected, uh, very angry, they might be underemployed, and it's it's been prime territory for populist movements. And, you know, think of, uh, you know, we always, Canadians generally pride themselves on, on being immune to the Trump phenomenon, but mm-hmm. uh, that cohort is very similar in Canada and the United States. And we should just not diminish the fact that a significant proportion of men, especially younger men, are very angry and disenchanted right now. Mm.
0: Uh, Nick, I think uh, I might leave it there. What's what's your big takeaway for this episode?
1: Big takeaway: Clutch your chest, Michael. <laughs> election <laughs> forty-four.
0: Oh my!
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I see. Uh, I see. Right now that the Liberals are setting the table for a potential election in the third week of September. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to watch out for the orange poison pill to see if it's there in terms of whether they want it or not. But I think we've got to buckle up, buckle up, Michael we might be doing more podcasts talking about oh my election every week because uh right now it looks like the liberals want to get ahead of the economic wall that many canadians will hit once the stimulus uh, runs out because if you think it's ugly now if there comes a point where the stimulus runs out and canadians cannot pay their mortgage and cannot pay the rent that will pale in comparison to the weak controversy because mm-hmm. canadians will be genuinely upset and perhaps the Liberals might want to get ahead of that before those dark
0: days come. Wow, Nick, thank you, as always. My pleasure. And where can we find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter, at NickNikNanos, or you can go to the Nanos website to get all those oodles of stats, www.nanos.co.
0: And I'm also on Twitter, at Michael Siddle. and for more coverage of what Nick and I discussed, you can also go to ctvnews.ca. Thanks, Nick. Thank
1: you.